Hello everyone, welcome back to Monday Movie Madness. Again, we are in the fourth week of our Spooktober Festival. And of course, every four weeks you know that we have to take a look. I say have to, we choose to take a look at a TV show um, of our choice. Um, this month, given that it is October, Halloween, the month of fear in a lot of cases, we decided to take a look at a Halloween-themed one as we've been doing throughout all of Spooktober. Uh, and what better show to pick than Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass? We tend to dislike mysteries. We feel uncomfortable not knowing. The more that we know, the less we bend, the more brittle we become. easier to break because that has been one of the most popular horror style shows in the last few years but i would argue probably one of the best if not the best horror shows i've ever seen um but yeah i didn't realize until starting record this today that chris you had never seen this before uh, <laughs> and i don't know you may, maybe didn't intend to but now i feel really bad for spoiling certain elements of the show before <laughs> we watched it um i'm interested i'm glad that you haven't seen it though before though because i've always wanted to talk to someone right after they've just finished watching it and i think we couldn't get more right after finished watching yeah, it than absolutely. we do now um initial thoughts just what's wrong um, to your head okay so I don't want to upset you. I like the show. I think it's really good. It's really, yeah. like, really good. It's not my favorite Mike Flanagan show. It's, um, yeah, that's fair. I've seen so far of Flanagan's work, I've seen Hill House, Bly Manor, and this. I think those are his three shows. I haven't watched Midnight Club. That's his mm. new one that's just dropped. Um, this is my second favorite. Uh, this is definitely much better than Bly Manor, um, but it isn't quite the level of Hill House for me. Although in some areas, it does surpass Hill House for sure. Um, it just, I don't know. It's just a different thing, I think. Um, yeah. But no, it's it's great. Um, I had some issues with it going at the beginning, uh, and they kind of got ironed out. Um, and yeah, um, I'm excited to get into it. I think um, I think one thing I feel like we need to have with Mike Flanagan shows going forward. Can we all get like a disclaimer or some kind of hotline to call afterwards? Because every Mike <laughs> Flanagan show puts me in such a state of emotional wreckage, like. <laughs> Mike Flanagan creates the saddest horror ever put on screen, I swear. Like, every horror thing he makes is, like, you're more surprised by how much you want to cry by the end. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, <laughs> I think at this point, you kind of just need to realize that that's coming at this stage. It's you? like, oh, Mike Flanagan, oh, I'm going to cry, yay. Yeah, I'm going to feel really emotional. <laughs> well, like, that's the reason I've been holding off watching Midnight Club for ages, because I'm doing a lot of stuff that's, like, really, like happy-go-lucky stuff which is really weird to do on halloween i know but like i'm kind of like i don't want to watch this now this will bum me out um yeah. <laughs> but i want to wait until there's like a moment where i've nothing else going on for the rest of the week and i can fully recuperate yeah um but let's get back to midnight mass because this is the show we're talking about for this week i absolutely adore this show i've made no secret of that um not even on this episode but on previous episodes as well uh, I love everything about this show from the casting to the location to the premise. I especially love sort of the aspects and themes of religion and sort of this unwavering faith in something, even though you don't know what it is and just assuming mm -hmm. that it's your God. I absolutely love all that stuff and that critical analysis of religion to a T in Mike Flanagan's uh, Midnight Mass. And of course, he kind of tackles a lot of um, really great stuff. I, I did actually, this might, yeah, I'm going to mention, I did, so I did for one of my um, master's um, 
assignment papers, I wrote a piece on Mike Flanagan's work in both uh, Bly Manor, Hill House and Midnight Mass about horror through the lens of post 9-11 America and kind of the fear of the other. Because uh, I feel like Mike Flanagan is one of those directors that realistically we're kind of getting this more like flipping the idea of like who the evil person is on its head. And I think Midnight Mass is a perfect example of that. For one, you know, obviously the main antagonists of this show are, well, mm. <laughs> Bar the Vampire are just all Christians. And then yeah, yeah. one of the main standout here is this show is a Muslim police officer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really want it because Raoul Coley is absolutely fantastic of the show as well. And I really want to touch on it later. But I adore this show. I don't think I've said it enough times. Um, but yeah, I want to jump straight into it because... Mm-hmm. This is a really, um, it's an interesting format for the show because it has seven episodes, which is kind of a weird, like, um, I don't know, usually you have them kind of either at an even number of eight or maybe they round off at nine because then they have the three, three, three. But this is kind mm-hmm. of a weird structure or format to have it in. But I really do like it um, because I, I feel like there's not much, and maybe there's one of the episodes that if you don't like the style in which it's told, and I'm thinking of the episode in which it's kind of just um, Aaron Green and... God, and Riley are just talking about like what's in the afterlife you could like that's a very pivotal episode in the actual show but I can see a lot of people not enjoying just two people sitting down and talking um that might be one episode you might not have uh, liked but Um, I think generally the whole show was very like constant like really great stuff like from start to finish I don't think there's any like sort of filler stuff to kind of add it out to an eight or nine episode which I'm really happy about um but yeah, do you want to just jump in on episode one then and we can kind of get all the sort of the basis of the yeah, analysis yeah. of like where we're getting these characters from? I think um, I was going to say as well, I don't know if you agree with this, but jumping into it, like, do you think uh, this is a show that I don't know if you can kind of go, I was going to say, obviously we'd go through episode one to kind of the setup, but it's not really an episode by episode type of show, if you get what I mean, because it feels it's very much like a seven hour movie kind of. Mm. I don't know if you got that vibe. Um like it's not like each episode is trying to do a different thing. It's you know it's kind of like very much this singular, you know, cohesive narrative where it's just like this is like although it is broken up into episodes, you could like it's almost like a seven hour movie. <laughs> so, yeah, but I don't know if it really benefits from watching each episode back to back. No, um, I was thinking no. about that because of the ideas of the show. I wonder if it's better to take time with it. Um, I think it didn't actually help with the binge watch. Um, yeah. But for, yeah, yeah, jumping into it, obviously. You know, we're, we're kind of this immediately. We're the, the startling, uh, typical Mike Flanagan imagery with like having some sort of horrific thing haunting someone. We kind of open up with uh, our protagonist Riley, who is well, our protagonist for most of the show at least. Um, Riley. We should who, mention there are spoilers in this. Yes, episode. yeah. Spoiler <laughs> as it goes without saying. Um, yeah. But um, Riley, we open up with you know essentially being in a car accident where the other girl has the, the girl who, who who he struck has died essentially it's pretty clear you know she's very like messed up looking and he's kind of just got a few scratches and immediately it's kind of this thing of the theme of guilt is like immediate because the literally the paramedic is like oh you like basically accosting him for even being alive whereas this like poor girl's dead and the drunk has is has lived through it perfectly fine um and like, Which yeah, I just I mean, want to say on that scene, like it kind of um, that's one of the few scenes in the show where I felt like this kind of maybe felt a little bit like injected, like dialogue and sort of narrative hmm. into the show because I don't know if I would ever see a paramedic doing that to someone. Hmm. Yeah, um, I do, I don't know. I I, I think I disagree actually because I think it's probably a it's you know if you attend a ton of the if you're a paramedic and you attend a ton of these situations, 
it must build within you the frustration that like yeah some, but you might say in- it to like you might say it to like your work colleagues i don't know if you'd say it to the actual like one of the people involved in the collision because obviously that could be really traumatizing for them yeah i suppose um, i suppose yeah yeah i could yeah, no maybe it could yeah maybe it could i don't know i haven't been in too many traffic collisions with a paramedic <laughs> to, to be able to note on that um but yeah obviously she's you know dead and we immediately cut to him being imprisoned and then it kind of immediately jumps past that it just kind of iterates that he's a religious person because he's praying as he sees her dying and then afterwards he kind of immediate uh, does he does they show him putting the bible down or something along those lines i couldn't remember if they showed that at the beginning well um, he gets sent a bible by his yeah. um his mother doesn't he ah yes that's it and he kind of turns away from it almost immediately um yeah. and then he's immediately struck with these visions of this dead girl um and it's really eerie because she's got like is it like hot is it holes in her face where the the light of the ambulance is kind of shining through I think it's shards of glass. Oh, is it shards of glass? I thought I couldn't yeah. remember if it was holes in her face or shards of glass. Yeah, there's like this really trippy thing of like the ambulance siren projecting from her face. Um, mm. Awesome stuff. But yeah, and, and obviously that's kind of your initial setup is that then he's brought to this island and you you're kind of the first episode is the first episode was the one episode I didn't really enjoy to be honest. Um, it was too just a, I know it's a slow burn, but it was just a bit too slow. There wasn't really anything too interesting in the entire episode for me. Um, like really sorry yeah. no hold on just like in the I first was... episode we have obviously the main um sort of you know the new character who shows up <laughs> um, in terms of the priest which for some reason the name is now just evading me for some reason monsignor pruitt monsignor yeah pruitt yeah oh, he shows father up paul. sorry father paul for the first part of the show <laughs> completely out of the blue mm. shows up then you've got the scene where Presumably, Riley chases. Um, what he believes is the vampire. It's probably the vampire. Yeah, in this yeah, because he's very tall, back. isn't he? He's yeah. like this tall but figure. That, that's where actually I felt that benefited from a rewatch because I didn't like I didn't clock that the first time round. No, yeah, I um, thought about it at the end when I was starting to see him in the robes. I was because he because of he shows up at the church later on in the robes. So I was like, oh, that must have been him at the beginning with the the hat on and the. And I think he has a doesn't he? He has a trench coat on at one point in the film as well. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we also do get the scene then as well of um the boys going out to sort of i think it's like a it's, is it a divided island from crocodile island they kind of yeah, like row out like to a, it i guess it's like a tiny island in the surrounding area that's like uninhabited and it's like yeah. where teens go to drink and, and smoke and stuff and we get probably like one of my favorite like horror shots of the show that like is very reminiscent of like you know those sort of like edited found footage like style fake videos of like oh yeah oh, i spotted bigfoot in the woods or something like you get just like this figure like sharply turn his head like with the eyes glowing and then he disappears i think that's great but like mm. I, I think the music does a lot for it as well and that's one thing i want to say about the show is i think the music is phenomenal uh, yeah. so you said we were three for three last week we're four for four this week that the, 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 <laughs> I mean, the quality Mike, Mike of like Flanagan's music is always great to be fair in all of his films i can't think of a product yeah made well only about. only mike flanagan in this show could have me bopping out to like hymns i don't know why <laughs> um because i listened to the soundtrack so much after watching this the first time and it's like it's like eerily creepy um which i suppose like i don't know church hymns kind of are if you take them out of a church <laughs> so mm. uh I, I i i loved everything about that but yeah sorry go back to what why didn't you enjoy this now chris so, I'm, I'm ready to fight so, yeah yeah so it's not that like obviously obviously there's tons of preceding events you know we're setting up our characters we're learning about them a bit i just nothing gripped me in the first episode i don't know there wasn't mm. the central premise of the show didn't really come about until 
you know, like the second episode was like the, almost immediately I was gripped in the second episode. There was something the second episode did in the beginning that really like intrigued me. And it was, and you'll probably agree with me. It was the cinematography of where everyone was having conversations on these beach and the camera was rotating slowly and like kind of showing everyone in the conversation. And it was following the person who's going to the next conversation. Like that was almost the point where I was like immediate joining. Cause it was just such a cool stylistic choice. And I loved how it like organically followed all these conversations and, and kind of, showed all the key players talking about their theories on what had happened. So yeah. that was the point where the show got interesting for me. But yeah, I don't know. This first episode, I didn't, um, I don't know. It just didn't really, like, I liked, I like, it was cool seeing more of the, you know, the by by now familiar cast of Mike Flanagan production. Uh, I can see why he gets the same actors. I mean, obviously Riley's someone I didn't recommend, recognize from any other work he's done, but maybe he's a, I'm not sure if he's a, a player in any of his other productions, but yeah. Yeah, it's great to see that familiar cast again, of course. I love seeing, I can't, I don't know his name, but I just always call him the dad from Hill House because he's in like, he's like a fatherly role in almost every show. And, you know, he even plays Jack Torrance in Doctor Sleep. Um, yeah, I love seeing all the familiar cast again. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just, I don't know, it just didn't really click with me. Obviously, they they don't really, I feel like they don't really establish the mystery. Obviously, you get this pastor and you don't know who he is, but the interesting stuff about him doesn't really rear its head. I feel like until the second episode. Yeah. It's definitely like the first episode is very much like an establishment of like where we are, who the characters Mm. are and everything. Um, which I maybe, maybe it's just me. I love that sort of stuff. I love that sort of like world building in a first episode. And then you can kind of just like completely branch off from it and like tell a really impactful story afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I love kind of knowing like, Oh, I know that character. I've seen them before they do this, that and the other. Um, I think, I think that's a really good way especially in horror when it's kind of expected that there will be a slow burn. Now I understand what you say kind of like it's a little bit too slow for you. Um, I like, uh, I mean, particularly from, I mean, we watched color out of space there a while back and I felt <laughs> that was extremely slow burn, but maybe we just have different like thoughts on slow burns. I don't know. Um, I love, I, I, I'm a huge fan of just like, um, and this will go back to what I said earlier. Like I love just like shows where it's just people having conversations and the dialogue is really, really good. Like airtight quality dialogue. Oh no, yeah, for sure. Um, I guess there just wasn't any. Those I agree with those things. I guess there just wasn't anything in that first episode that like clicked with me in that way. Like the mm. best exchanges sort of came to the midway point and onwards to me. That was when I was really like, oh, these are some really like poignant and powerful exchanges we're having. Um, like the the scene where I was like I I audibly went oh wow it was uh I can't remember what it was it was one of the first sermons by Father Paul, um who spoiler alert is my absolute favorite character in this show I, mm. I and I can't think of the name of the actor but I loved that character so much, um so yeah I mean yeah that was kind of when I got and I, I was I, I like, you know, everyone was likable from the beginning. It's just, yeah, just the first episode didn't really grip me. But that's like, you know, I, and perhaps on rewatch, knowing where the show goes, I'm, I'm going to be more intrigued. Um, yeah. Because obviously, yeah, just yeah. want to mention the the actor of Father Paul is played by Hamish Linklater, who that's a name I've never heard before. And I just no. think it's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> but yeah. It, yeah. 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 Um, yeah stand out of the show for me um yeah you're dead right he's absolutely phenomenal from start to finish and it's weird because he's a really like it's a complex character in the sense of like he has probably like he has ultimately doomed that island from the Mm get-go but you can't help but feel sorry for him especially when you learn the stuff later on between him and um oh god this is the problem but this is the one like 
show where my head goes blank on a load of names. Um, oh no, yeah, it's having just finished it. I haven't even had a chance to like recollect what the names are, and it really is annoying because <laughs> I yeah. feel like I'm not giving respect to these like phenomenal performances, you know. Um, but yeah, there's a load of like stuff that we'll touch on later because it kind of he gets a little bit more explored later on in the series, and mm-hmm. there's a bit in the show where he kind of like you you do start to root against him obviously because of what happens to Riley and everything. And then it's almost like, which I suppose spoiler, but we've kind of mentioned already, but when Riley is kind of just taken out of the show completely, um, mm. which I, first of all, didn't see coming at all. And I thought it was no, a great, like, twist of events. Um, you kind, he kind of actually shifts back to like more guilt for what happened because he was almost expecting everything to go his way and for like mm-hmm. Riley to kind of cop on and see the light or whatever and kind of help him out. I think, yeah, I think that was the turning point for him realizing like what he's doing is wrong. Um, mm. I think... Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it more as it goes on, but yeah, amazing character. Like, probably the best, one of the best Mike Flanagan characters in terms of complexity and, like, the emotions he makes you feel. And nothing, you know, they couldn't have pulled that without this incredible performance. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, I suppose, yeah, and obviously, as we say somewhere on the first episode, it kind of sets the stage. But, like, I don't know, there's just not enough there that grips me. But, like, I'd love to talk about, like, the following episodes a lot more, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um because the second episode yeah like i said those amazing cinematography i don't know what did you think on that like the kind of you know the rotating on the conversations and just almost like it feels like it's a one take but i don't know if it is but it certainly feels that way i think the good thing about this show is like despite like in elements kind of how fantastical the sort of premise is because there's vampires and whatnot Mm. i am always like consistently just blown away by how grounded and down to earth the actual camera work feels in this show absolutely um, because it doesn't feel like, you know, it's not like Pacific Rim where you're seeing like these huge drone shots or whatever of anything. Like, granted, there's a couple of like spanning shots. I'm thinking like specifically of the one with all the cats on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's even done from a, a completely like um, like minute tone. It doesn't feel like it's kind of like this huge cinematography, like in your face, like look at what like we did. Like a massive aerial shot or something. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of just like, it's it's kind of like, you know, if you were like standing up on an elevated position, that's what you'd see. Um, yeah and i i love like every shot feels believable and because you know obviously it would be weird if there was like artificial shots um Mm -hmm. in this show but i i love the sort of like almost the documentary style of filmmaking that sometimes this shows like you talk about like moving from conversation to conversation like that is so reminiscent of like go uh, of of documentary standard like following a character around i just absolutely adore that style of filmmaking and it makes it feel the show in general a lot more creepy and more real mm-hmm. in that sense because you don't feel like you're a viewer at that point you feel like you're kind of invested in like something that probably happened i think you know that sort of way yeah and i think the show yeah and i think those conversations as well really help the context of the island and building out the island more mm-hmm. i mean they bring up this thing that the oil spill that could have easily felt like exposition in like a lesser show but it's it makes complete sense that they're referencing it that the dialogue is going like they're explaining it then they're, they're not explaining it to you know you've got the the sheriff character uh is his name hassan sheriff Hassan. yeah sheriff hassan. yeah um and he um as and he's kind of the fish out of water there so when they're explaining you know events on the island to him it it makes sense and like but he but they still kind of like he's not like complete outsider in the sense of like he you know obviously he's treated as an outsider but like in the sense of like he's in touch with the town and kind of knows some of these events but it's like explained in a way that feels very organic and natural um and i love even the bit down to the details of like the mayor saying the same story twice like completely like 
<laughs> like he's like telling the same story about how a ton of like birds fell out the sky. I can't I think it's birds or something like that. I can't quite remember. Mm. Um, like you know, he's repeating himself, and it just feels like supernatural. And like that's no real surprise. Mike Flanagan, for the most part, there is one of my gripes with this show in the final episode. But for the most part, is incredibly talented at writing very organic, natural dialogue. Yeah, I would just say as well. Like obviously, we mentioned um, Father Paul as like being one of the standout characters. I think. Mm. If not a close second, if not alongside him, I think Sheriff Assad is up there as well. Like, oh, just yeah. a phenomenal portrayal of any character in that way well, he, by Ralph Foley. He, he's just like this classic, like, he's just a damn likable guy, you know? He's just a good guy, you know? Um, he's played with, like, very, like, re- he feels real and organic, you know? Um, there's, It's just, yeah, his portrayal is brilliant. Um, I think everyone's portrayal in the show is mostly very realistic. Um, I think they... And I don't know if they, I think they kind of needed this for drama's sake. I think Bev Keen, I mean, there are people 100% who exist like this, but mm. I think she does become a little like, and this might just be my interpretation, and I don't really know how else they could have done it better. I'm not saying they could have done it any better, but she is like very, she reminds, you know, she is very like that typical like hyper religious character in horror films. She's very like Mrs. Carmendy out of the mist kind of thing, you know, the fanatical, mm. insane yeah, yeah. religious person. But obviously, she serves the story very well, and the performance again is great. Um, but like I'm just saying in the sea of amazingly well fleshed out characters you know she's kind of a standout in that she's not very well fleshed out she's kind of just she is evil (laughs) evil religious lady but I just think I I don't know I maybe I disagree a little bit like I agree with you like other points you're making but I disagree to the point that I don't think she's like fleshed out in that sense because I I think you take these situations like uh, Bev Keen's like reaction to Hassan and sort of anyone who is deemed like non-perfect in the religious sense that includes like riley flynn and aaron green yeah um it's kind of like it progresses to an extreme element like obviously she's very zealous in the way she like approaches religion mm-hmm. um and like even like with stuff uh, at the beginning i'm thinking mainly of like when they're talking about shutting down uh, everything for there's a there's an incoming storm coming to crocodile island and hassan rec- uh, recommends putting people in the the, the school um, yeah. but then she's like oh no we do it in the church like and yeah, that's absolutely. obviously like like the school probably might be a better place but the church is kind of this symbol of like you know her religious expression or whatever in this sense and she's obviously very uh going to be very zealous about that and you know we see like kind of the shit i suppose Hassan has to put up with because he doesn't bother like trying to push back against it because he knows he's in a losing battle like because he's outnumbered on all these sides because there aren't maybe there aren't people who are as zealous as Bev Keen, but there are certainly people close enough to that that would outnumber him. Well, um, yeah, and with her, it goes kind of beyond that, doesn't it? Because she's just a straight-up racist by the, by oh, the well, end, yeah, you realise. Well, yeah. well, we um, get to see that a little bit more later on. But I do want to say, though, I think I think the development of Bev Keen in this show is really good because I think it actually portrays an element of like uh, religious zealotry that actually probably would be heightened in a situation like this. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. No, don't get me wrong. No, I think that's just my reception to the character it's not by any means i don't think it's even a flaw i just think it's like Mm. oh i've seen this character quite a lot but obviously it's very important to have characters like that because they absolutely exist Um, another um another fun detail as well if you uh um i don't know if you've seen hush it's one of mike flanagan's work yes yeah yeah so obviously um aaron green uh or sorry i suppose kate Siegel. Siegel, yeah uh in that film is writing midnight mass uh, yeah, yeah. She's not, or she's, is she writing Midnight Mass or she has lent a book of Midnight Mass to Bev Keen whose think, character Bev yeah, Keen is Samantha uh, Sloyan I think I think it's her friend yeah she lends the book to 
Yeah, and there's a great line in Hush where she's like, oh, I love the character of Aaron Green. And I'm like, do you? Really? <laughs> after watching that, like after all of this, I'm like, no, you don't. Stop lying. You mean Bev Keen? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Aaron Green, uh, Bev Keen, they are very similar. When oh, you... no, I mean like the character of Bev Keen reads the book in Hush and she says that she loves Oh, Aaron is that the Green, same that's... actress? Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even click, click on to that. It's been a while since I've watched Hush, so... Yeah, yeah, that's um, fair. But I just, I love that scene. I think that's amazing. They're going back and rewatching that. <laughs> now, when she gets killed in that movie, you're like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> justice. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I suppose episode two of events wise, so oh, dog death was not a fan of that. Not gonna lie. <laughs> no, no, I don't that think anyone was. Heart. Yeah, that broke my heart. Like uh, that was the first time the show got me. I was like, oh, great, make me watch that. Um, or Joe Colley as well. I actually quite Joe like Colley. That oh yeah, Joe Colley in general like broke my heart like so much in the show. Like I don't even I I I know he did like a terrible thing, and the show is very clear about that. But he's such mm. a like a flawed. He seems like an ultimately you know not a bad person in any way. He just seems like a very like troubled and you know he's punishing himself because he obviously feels incredible guilt for what he did. Like it's not like he's you know. Like he, like he's okay yeah. with what he did. He he wants everyone to hate him because he thinks that's what he deserves. And yeah, again, when his dog dies, I, I was yeah, it was like it's horrible. Like he doesn't deserve that, and he's right. Like the no one should do that to the dog. The dog was innocent, didn't do anything to anyone. Um, yeah. And yeah, that I seems also, horrific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think in this sense as well, though, it's like it's again showing sort of Mike Flanagan's commentary on, I suppose, religious community. In that mm. sense of like the way in which sort of somebody is like told, oh yeah, forgive and forget, but they don't really ever let anything go. No, they kind of always keep like bringing it up, and it's always like the worst thing you've done in your life defines you. Full stop. Like mm. he could, he could have cured cancer, and people still be like, oh, but he did that. Um, and it's kind of it is it's really good because, I mean, as someone who grew up in a small town, which was uh, very much. Uh, catholic religion mm. um I, I obviously wasn't exposed to it in the same way because i moved at the age of 13 so i don't think i was really that in tune with all of that stuff but you you do realize anyone who's ever lived in a small town knows the power of circulation of rumors um mm. and just kind of like how small a community is and given the, the size of crocodile island like it is impossible for joe collie to ever live down what he did because mm. everyone will continuously remind it of him maybe not by saying it but by constantly either telling other people about it or by like kind of the expressions or looks or sort of disdain they put towards him yeah they, um, just, they treat him less than human really don't they throughout the whole show they treat him yeah as like an animal. but it's an aspect like it, it goes back again like i mean not everyone is as zealous as as bev keen but there's no. an element of like i suppose this religious nature to like oh yeah this guy's a sinner and you know we should forgive and forget but we won't um no, we're just going to hold it over this person and it's like it's kind of a separation of like I suppose, actual religious intention and then just, like, it's people being assholes. Um, it's weird, though, like, people, like, taking scripture and, like, you know, poking it for their own holes. And there's a great number of examples in the show of where that happens. Like, uh, I mean, Bev Keen on a number of occasions tries <laughs> right, to claim, like, hypocrisy. She Bible verses when something bad happens. <laughs> well, she does do that, but at the same time, she also, like, keeps telling other characters that they can't pick and choose from the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and she does the exact same thing. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, no, I, sorry, I... I will meander about like sort of the religious stuff in this show like nonstop because I absolutely adore it and I think it's phenomenal writing. But yeah, I, just a point that was just a point on Joe Collie I wanted to mention. I think, in fairness, kind of going episode by episode, I'm not going to lie, I'm struggling a little bit with the events of the show in terms of what episode happens in what. The dog just sticks out for me in episode two. But obviously, you know, we're kind of building up the pastor more. I think this is when I really like started to like him. Um, there's something about 
and like by the end of the show, I think I was right to like him for the most part. I think mm. there's something about his. I think oh, ultimately, like this is why, like this is why the, the show ultimately is great. I think you're talking about that religious stuff. What I love about this show is it does, re- it probably does a criticism of religion better than most anything I've ever seen. In that yeah. it criticizes religion, but it doesn't beat on it. It doesn't beat on one particular religion. It doesn't assert one religion as having you know particularly bad views over another. It talks about how any religion can be corrupted and twisted. In this case, it's Christianity. But it mm. also talks about the good that religion brings out in people. Like the pastor is, despite doing some really bad stuff towards the end, like he ends the, he redeems himself in the end. And he ends up, like you, you see his intentions are pure and that he's genuinely like trying to do the right thing, what he believes to be the right thing. And he's like not judgmental to people and he treats people fairly. Like he yeah. treats them with genuine, like the way he treats Riley, despite what happens to Riley in the end. And despite it being his fault, he treats him with like better than anyone else treats him up to that point. Besides, you know, besides uh, Katie Siegel's character, mm. like he treats him like with such dignity and like doesn't judge him and doesn't like harp on the, f- you know, he did a terrible thing, but he doesn't like let that define him. And I just, yeah, I think I love that character so much because of his humanity. Yeah, um, I think I, j- I just want to also add as well. I think like the the choice, like as you mentioned, it could have been en- like it's not really about like oh, Christianity bad. Like there's no. certainly elements of that, but it's kind of like you know the way in which religions can be like mutilated and kind of bastardized mm. into these sort of like cults in a sense. Um, and I think again going back to like what I mentioned at the beginning of having this sort of like post nine eleven version of horror to have the Christians be the villains in this case because you know previous to that like it, it's very easy to like you know, have Muslim representation on screen and have them be the bad guys per se mm. and have it be like, oh, look at this, like these this disgraceful religion or whatever. Um, And it's not like, it, it's a really like unjust and unfair representation of a religion to kind of just look at it in that black and white sense in any way. Um, but I just think there's a fantastic element to like kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? It's It's great in the sense that it's able to flip the idea on its head and kind of maybe it's asking questions of more western audience to be a bit more introspective on the way in which they view religion mm-hmm. because it's like look it's not just like it's not the other that's bad like people in your own community are doing terrible things and you will like overlook it because you know well they're one of you in a, in quotes like you know yeah um and i think it was a really like sound and really brilliant choice especially again i'm going to keep harping on this message of like this post 9-11 context in horror but it was a really great idea to have the main i say antagonist because it, it's kind of it's a word i'd use loosely in this show because i don't really feel like most people in the show are quote unquote antagonists in the sense mm. of like i think the closest thing we have to one is obviously bev keen and maybe um, I guess the big vampire demon who's in the last. Oh yeah, episode, I suppose but... yeah. As people, I mean though, like the vampire yeah, is yeah. kind of just like I don't know, whatever. He's kind of just set dressing. I kind of feel like yeah, in this it's show. just kind of a creature. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just I just think the 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 the, the thing about this, like, is I don't think that the horror of the show is kind of like oh my god, spooky vampire. No, I think the horror all. of this show is like look at the like because relatively for the most part, the people on Crockett Island are kind of normal enough people, mm. and the fact that they were driven to this like level of insanity to all like become vampires in some ways and then to feed on the people who didn't go to church mm. um even and you can kind of i mean maybe the show tries to make you feel a little bit more sympathetic to uh father paul because obviously he kind of tells them to keep the doors closed so that wouldn't happen and bev keen's yeah. like no screw that let them out um and she's definitely like 
yeah insane um yeah. you mentioned the dog by the way she also probably just killed that dog as well so do you know what's interesting about that as well going back a bit i for a period thought that the girl in the wheel i thought the lisa had killed the dog uh, what? I, thought that, I thought that might be a twist because there was that scene where she stared him down and then there was and i saw when she obviously got her ability to walk back and she went to joe collie i thought she was gonna tell him i want you to hurt that's like why i killed your dog hmm. um you know, and I, I thought, you know, that would be really messed up because I just thought Bev King was too obvious. I was like, yeah. maybe they're going to do something different here. But no, I'm very glad they didn't because I would have hated Lisa for the entire show if she killed the dog. <laughs> I would have been yeah, like... Yeah, it would have know, made well, sort of the ending no... be a little bit less bearable, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> well, obviously there's uh, only like two people who almost... survive and you're like, oh, the dog killer survived out of everyone. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no I, no, I just think that's... Maybe that's a horror thing. Like some horror does like to do that. And like, no, but yeah um that she was speaking on that scene as well that scene got me very choked up with with again the actor i forget his name he's in all of the mike flanagan stuff but the actor who plays joe collie like for some reason whenever he's in anything mike flanagan besides dr sleep because he plays a villainous character in that i always feel for him and like he always gets me choked up robert longstreet there's something about his performances that just like gets so much emotion out of me like when he's crying in the thing and she says i forgive you and he just immediately breaks down i was like oh my god like yeah yeah no, it's really I mean, good, there's yeah. a ha- there's like ten scenes in this show that will get you like that. I think will elicit a lot of emotion out of you. So, um, yeah, which is what Mike Flanagan does best, you know. Um, he does it better than most, you know, drama writers or anything. You know, he makes you feel more than, you know, you feel something in every single one of his his projects. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like, I mean, this one I think is the one that hits the most. I think it's just yeah. yeah. Before that, it was Hill House that really got me going emotionally but this yeah and and dr sleep to an extent as well they're they're all great the only one that probably isn't is hush because it's more of like a thriller kind of but yeah absolutely um so many scenes in this that um kind of get me choked up and i think episode three actually had one of the scariest scenes in the show for me because obviously early on this vampire is kind of i guess picking people off certain people mm. um a few sort of more minor characters um and there's a scene where it and then it never does this again but it mimics a bloke's voice um and i can't remember who it is it's the drug dealer it mimics his voice oh um yes yeah um and uh that for some reason sent chills down my spine i was absolutely petrified in that scene uh and i'm not sure why i don't know it just really was really scary because he goes into this pitch black rundown house and you just you hear it again and you can see a figure in the corner and it just suddenly moves out of nowhere and it's just like oh wow um but i mean that and also it it helps that there's few and far like i think genuine horror scenes in this show in the show so when you kind of get one that's quite strong it is quite striking Um, oh yeah sure but yeah it is a very much like obviously each episode is kind of building towards this climax um you know, and, and I think episode three is kind of where we start to get hints about what's going on with Father Paul and what's actually his, you know, what's happening to him because that's when the miracles start to happen, isn't it? Well, we uh, also get the sort of the backstory of what happened to Pruitt when he was in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, and that's obviously when we learn that he is Monsignor Pruitt, this man that we've learned at the beginning was senile and lost. And we also uh, get some absolutely class visuals as well uh, when oh, he comes out of the cave afterwards when he's in the cave i was shitting myself <laughs> those eyes man <laughs> the eyes in this show are so creepy like the vampire eyes the glow in their eyes is so unnerving mm. like yeah, even no, it's, when it's uh, in all the people and yeah it's uh oof. <laughs> but yeah no it's kind of it is almost like biblical-esque like when he because i mean that's obviously the the whole point of it is that like 
you know, this uh, this vampire has masqueraded as an angel, which I'm kind of like, hmm, it doesn't really well, look yeah, the part. It's, it's um, almost, it's yeah. just the fact that it has wings, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just think, I think it's really good, like, even when we see the backstory stuff to Jerusalem, it's kind of like, it's presented in this biblical, almost like, like, like when he comes He's, out of the cave. It's like and a story like, out of the Bible, yeah, he describes yeah. it as like a... But like even like when he comes out of the cave and like he you know goes to his knees and he's like screaming up in the air like that is something I could definitely imagine as like I don't know a fucking like picture in a church or something you mm. know like it's really like I just I love I I've said this a lot like but I just love the way it's told I just really do um it's told and, in and parts of, yeah. isn't it throughout the episode as well we get more and more of the mystery which actually like... I didn't cop on till recently I, I'm presuming. I mean, did you go to church when you were younger or was it? Uh... Yeah, a little bit when in primary, I was in a church school for primary school. So yeah, I spent quite a bit of time in church. Yeah. I remember like, do you ever remember like the stations of the cross? Uh... It used to be like, they used to be darted around a church. So they'd like have like, number one would be like, it, it would pretty much map Jesus's uh, journey to uh, being crucified. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, sure. I think the way in which they've broken it up for like parts of the episode is kind of like for me, it struck a chord in my head of being like, oh, here's part one of the like um, the stations of the cross. So like we have a little yeah. bit of Mount Cedar Fruit. And I, I I don't know, maybe that's not intended, but I think the fact that it's left open that I could maybe get something out of it like that is kind of interesting because, again, it only adds more to the sort of like, well, the, yeah, the, the quote, and, and, unquote, and biblical reference it's trying to do. And it, it's entirely possible it was intended because obviously we have that line where Bev Keen describes him as walking the same road as Jesus himself and, you know, yeah. and like and dying and returning alive again. Um, but yeah, I love that part because that part had me going that the vampire creature was actually was actually Father Paul and like maybe after eating him, he was going to turn into, you know, like oh, he was gonna yeah, like a morph, morph. Yeah. yeah, which would have been a would have been a bit sillier and would not have worked nearly as well. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that I don't get me wrong. I'm very glad they didn't go down that road. I love the idea that this vampire creature as well is just using him to get yeah. to a food source because that's the vibe I often got. It's just playing the role it needs to to, to keep fed and keep alive, basically. You know. Yeah, I mean, he, pretty much. Yeah. He, he takes it to a town full of willing people who it can eat. <laughs> um, or not all willing, unfortunately. Um. <laughs> town full of people that it can eat and and then he he keeps it out of the sun you know and it feels very much like a it just kind of saw an opportunity because you know as it was eating him it kind of maybe had this thing that well this person can probably get me out of here because i'm stuck in this cave because presumably it doesn't leave the cave because it can't travel across the desert obviously oh yeah you know, no i definitely say so um so yeah um i look yeah I, I, and i look yeah i love the reveal that it is him and um it, it adds more to his interactions with Riley as well, because you get the vibe that Riley and this guy were very close when he was, you know, before his dementia set in. Mm. Um, and that right, that he was a positive religious influence in Riley's life. Yeah. You know, he, that he was like, you know, that he was this mentor to him. And I, I love all that because it adds like such a, it adds like even more like emotion to their interactions in the AA meetings, because that's kind of at this point, I believe a through line we're getting throughout the episode with them attending AA meetings and everyone talking. But I think, um, yeah, it's it's good to, like, you know, that Pruitt is kind of put out as this good guy. Like, I mean, mm. there's, like, I think it's a perfect example because you compare him and Bev Keen, who realistically are, like, you know, they follow the same religion. Um, and it's a really good point of, like, you know, just because somebody follows the same religion doesn't mean they think the exact same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, like, Pruitt, like, yes, he does some questionable things maybe he's not the best example for like a good samaritan but like it's like he definitely doesn't have ill intention in, in his heart whereas with bev keen it's very much more outright like 
just well, it almost bigotry. feels like a power yeah it's a bigotry it feels like a power grab where she she wants to be the most loved you know by god and and he thinks she's the most pure she thinks she's just a little better than everyone else but we do um, actually there's a great like again in this episode as well we get the scene where um ali who's a, a, a seraph Hassan's son has like, mm. been studying the bible because it's been it's been given out at schools, which I think is kind of off the backs of obviously uh, we saw Lisa uh, gain her uh, gain her ability to walk back in the previous yeah, episode. So yeah, that's yeah. definitely the start of like the cultish angle where it gets very like yeah. it's spreading quickly now because a miracle has happened in front of a large group of people and now they're immediately sort of spreading the word and then obviously people start miraculously all getting better around the town. I think the first thing that, it was a bit jarring the age thing I have to say. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. a lot of these actors are just in heavy makeup. Um, and I didn't find it too distracting, um, to be fair. But um, it was a bit, it was initially a bit like sudden. But like, no, I loved all that. Everyone starts getting healed. And it's almost like you're almost kind of happy for these people because these are mostly all good people and they deserve, you know, they didn't deserve the things that happened to them. So to see Riley's father get better and, and, and have this wonderful tender moment with his wife, you know, um, yeah. I love all of that stuff. Um it's like very, you know, it's very heartwarming to see them kind of reconnect now that he, you know, see that his sickness was what was keeping them at, at bay, essentially, you know, keeping mm-hmm. them distant from each other. Not that he was just a bad husband, but, but because he was ill and, you know, he, he had yeah. a bad back and he's disabled, essentially. But also, um, like, I just want to uh, quickly run back to the bit with um, handing out the Bibles and Sheriff mm-hmm. Hassan, like, giving out about it. I just think, again, another phenomenal scene where it's kind of portraying the Muslim religion in finally a positive light for one. Yeah. Uh, because it, it's not, well, I wouldn't even say it's a positive light, just in a fair light. It's like, it's, it's kind of debunking a lot of like stupid, like assumptions that have been made on that religion for no reason. Mm. Um, based off just bigotry and like, I suppose, what's the other word I'd be looking for? Sort of just general nonsense that people have kind of consumed as truth. Yeah. Um, and there's like, I think, yeah, this one thing I want to say, like there's, there's one particular scene later on, I think you probably know what I'm talking about with Sheriff Hassan that we'll mm. talk about. But like every scene he's in, he absolutely steals. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Fantastic in every way, shape and form. And it's done in a way that it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like he's, you know, just running out lines of exposition about no. a certain thing. It feels natural that he would be it, kind of like because he has to always be on the defensive. In the yeah, community. it's practically a debate, essentially. It's a debate with one person who's willing to listen and the other person who isn't essentially you know yeah he's trying to uh, essentially appeal to the room and it seems in fairness to the the town a lot of the people in the town seem to be receptive to what he's saying like they're all pretty reasonable it's only bev keen who's kind of wielding this you know control over everyone who is this bigger everyone else like doesn't seem no one says anything like you know harsh back to him or and obviously um i forget her name again but erin uh, erin sides with him of course because you know she's a very reasonable person um, and he's, you know, all he's asking is that you don't like force your religion on someone who is already, you know, re- who already has their own religious beliefs and who, who I'm, you know, but then, but I love, I love that because I also love the, the exchange later on where his son points out that he didn't also didn't ask to join the religion. He was just kind of told, he was just raised in the religion and told that that was what he should be a part of. Oh, not yeah. necess- and, and not even necessarily that, you know, it, it makes sense why his father's kind of like, because his father is a, I believe he says he's a convert at one point um, that he converted yeah, to Islam yeah, after so, yeah. meeting his wife. Um, but yeah, so it's so even then there's like nuance, and it's not even like you know his dad raising him as, as religious is there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that. But also when his son you know 
his, but the problem is his son's questioning is only coming about because of external pressure from another religion, not because he's having genuine, you know, crisis of faith or mm. genuine interest in exploring elsewhere. So it's kind of like, you know, these are good questions to raise, but the reason you're doing it is wrong. Yeah, you know, you've hit the you, nail you, on the head there. Um, um, yeah, but yeah, exchanges with him are great, and I just love, I love a good TV lawman. Like whenever you got like a good <laughs> cop character in a show, I'm always like very enthralled. You know, they're so I, I, I don't know, I just love a good cool, you know, cool collected, like takes control of the situation, like the lawman in a TV show. I don't know, it's always great whenever they have these exchanges, and you just kind of see the, you know. You know things like Fargo, Justified, all of these shows that have like these great lawmen characters. Yeah, but it doesn't feel out of place one. either, which is the good thing because mm. you get the sense, obviously, in, in later conversations that he is well overqualified for this job, but he takes yeah, it out absolutely. of necessity. Yeah, um, yeah. And I just, I, I just like, I like that little bit of added because it'd be so random. Like, I mean, what are the probability that on like a tiny island like Crockett Island that there would be like this hyper competent? hyper efficient police officer mm. um and i think having that background knowledge of sheriff Hassan really adds more to that character and also makes it more believable mm-hmm. um but yeah no just yeah everything I love about the little, that, yeah. i always love the little detail as well where in one of the later exchanges he says that he doesn't carry a gun because he doesn't need to but he had a gun with him he brought one with him so he obviously like you know that whether or not that plays into his is um you know, like like he had one on the island. I mean, whether or not that plays into still that little bit, of, you know, defensiveness on his part that he still had one. He never thought he'd need it, but he always had one just in case. Um, yeah. I just thought that was neat because when he made that exchange, I thought, I hope he has one though because I feel like he's going to need it. Because <laughs> I was very concerned for him when she said he doesn't have a gun. I was like, please don't kill this guy. Um, like this guy's a good guy. Don't kill this guy just for like trying to you know keep his son safe. Um, Little did you know. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, at that point, it was everyone was on the chopping block. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is very much like um, yeah, and we get these great exchanges. Right, I love the, I love, I want to talk a little bit about Riley for, to be fair as well because yes, the last two episodes are very much like the, what, the fourth and fifth episode are very much his swan song. Hmm. Um, little do we know when we're watching it. Um, his like relationship with Erin is so like is so great on the show and. Um, and it's very tragic as well, like most good, you know, relationships and horror in 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 in, in shows are. That it's a tragic one. It's doomed essentially. Yeah. Um, and that exchange about life after death, I like Riley because I find I find frustration in like atheist kind of media or or things that take a shot at God, at religion, when they're just you know when they're just sort of just lecturing and telling and, and talking down to religious people. You know, the same way we don't want, I think it's it's very frustrating in media sometimes when the same way we would criticize a religion for talking down to someone who didn't believe or didn't follow all the tenets. Why is it, you know, suddenly okay to tell people who are religious that they're, you know, either stupid or naive? Like, I don't mm. like any of that in media. So it was very nice to see a very nuanced character who actually says, yeah, I don't believe, um, you know, but like, I don't know why, like things have happened that have led me away from this, but like, I don't, I don't have any issue with someone believing and I don't, I don't think they're wrong. and I don't think they're lesser, you know, because at one point Aaron kind of pokes at that, like the usual, oh, do you think I'm stupid? Do you think I'm naive? And he's like, no, I don't think any of those things. Um, and I, I, you know, it's just another great exchange where it's taking a very potentially, you know, contentious topic and exploring it in a very nuanced way and giving all sides, you know, a voice. Hmm. Um, I, and I just, yeah, I really appreciated that about the show. I loved the nuance that it kept constantly bringing to these religious conversations, you know, exploring them in a way that I feel like media doesn't, you know, we either, 
we either go hyper religious and in kind of paint all religion as bad or we go you know paint a non-religion as bad you know Hmm. um i just think the shows does the nuance so well and yeah and riley gets some great exchanges in and as i was not expecting him to get you know essentially attacked by the um the the head vampire did you get Um, a jump scare from that Yes, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I just, I don't think at that point we'd seen it move with such, you know, speed. speed yeah. So it just kind of leapt on him. And also, I didn't, I didn't realize it was still in the room. I thought the setup was going to be he was going to see him praying and go, "What are you doing?" I didn't know it was still going to be in the room. <laughs> um, and immediately, like, and and to be fair as well, after that, I think that we've already seen Pruitt kill Joe at this point as well, Joe Collie, which again, like, what, like. A, sucky end for that character you know I like, by what, accident but like it is accidental yeah. and then obviously the hunger kind of overcomes him and it's a and, gruesome and he, scene though yeah he like cracks his head open and then he's just drinking yeah. the blood and oh yeah while the guy's like essentially dying on the ground like a fruit and, yeah yeah oh god yeah um and and like I was like really worried because I was really enjoying the character at this point, and I, the the father Paul, and I was really worried that they were going to go the predictable route. Was when he's saying, "Oh, I felt no remorse, I felt no guilt for killing him." I was like, "Oh, is he going to now just become this completely unnuanced like evil villain? He kills one person, and suddenly he's just fine with killing innocent people." Hmm. But no, but no, the show and the show kind of makes you think that for a little period of time, but like kind of sees that he's kind of being manipulated. Like Bev Keen is very much pulling his strings at a lot of points in the yeah. show because he's very like. I think he does feel guilt and remorse when he kills Joe because he's kind of huddled in the corner, covered in blood, kind of like freaking out. Um, because I think, is there a point where he's actually human and then he dies, doesn't he? Because he has that seizure and that's when he becomes fully vampire. Oh, I actually don't know. I assume he, that he kind of like, he just kind of he dies see- in the cave and then comes out as the vampire, but it just takes a while for it to set in. Because we don't see him bleed out. He like he he gets eaten by the vampire, but he doesn't get eaten enough to die. It doesn't look like it, because the vampire cuts its hand obviously halfway through. Um, yeah, but neither does neither does um I suppose yeah, but Riley doesn't like he's just a quick snap at the neck, like, and then he comes back nearly instantaneously. So is it mm. the same thing as Pruitt or but, yeah, yeah, it could I be well know. what you mean. Like, cause Pruitt could be going off the same thing of like, you know, the way a lot of them become vampires through uh, drinking the consecration. Well, yeah. And they also say that like, when there's like a dominant amount of the, the cells in the body, mm. essentially. So I didn't know if that was like, he's got so much of that blood in him now that it's essentially killing him to take over fully. Like the, With, the, yeah. the implication possibly being that this would happen to the rest of the town if they kept drinking the consecration. Can we also it? just say as well, there's a load of like science jargon in this show, uh, which yeah, I just I'll... think is great. <laughs> just, I love it because yeah. they're trying to like make sense out of vampires. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I, it reminded me of like The Walking Dead when no one says zombies. I was like, has no one ever watched a vampire movie? Like, <laughs> I, I had to laugh at that a little bit. Although, having said that, they only really follow one or two tenets of t- traditional vampires in the show, in fairness to them. Mm. Um, so it's entirely. And obviously, again, like you would try and make a rational mind out of it, especially when these people are trying to see, you know, argue away the miracles. It'd be weird for them to suddenly turn around and go, well, I argue away the miracles, but these are just vampires. <laughs> Yeah. Um. So it makes sense. They all have like rational minds and want to expl- an explanation. Um. But yeah, like, and obviously we get the conversations between Riley and 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 Pruitt, and it's very much like a justification of, you know, what he's done and what and why he's like, oh, I felt no guilt. And then you get that great scene where Riley's like, I feel jealous that you feel no guilt in killing someone, um, because obviously he's racked with guilt for the death of this girl, mm. um, 
you know, you get the implication very early on that he's quite, he's potentially suicidal um, because of, you know, what he's done because nothing yeah. got better for him and he, he doesn't think he deserves to live. He wishes he died in the crash. Um, and obviously it's quite poignant where that goes in the end for him. Mm. Um, yeah. But again, like great exchanges, you know, the Mike Flanagan just does these exchanges of ideas. Like I, a lot of his things kind of have these discussions and debates almost on, on the very subject matter of the show. And I always love that. And like, they always feel so natural and, important to bring up um yeah. but well, yeah the, the whole discussion thing kind of comes in episode five between it's like episode Aaron. four and five isn't it uh, well, four cause... four is the big conversation between paul and um oh God, riley sorry and then when we get to five we kind of get the whole missing persons report and then we're kind of uh, oh no told... five is five is the conversation between right well or, or, well five is the conversation after he's become a vampire at least Yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, and again to the sh- like, I hope no one's listening to this who hasn't seen the show. But um, <laughs> after fifty-two minutes in, I think it's the reveal, okay. the reveal of the vampire aspect of this show is so good because the show gives you very little to think it's vampires early on, you know. Yeah. But when you see that it's vampires, it makes total sense as well. It doesn't come out of left field. It makes total sense. It's like, oh, this explains all of the things I've been seeing so far. Um, you know, everything, the way characters have been acting and stuff. But like, but it's also so well hidden. Like the show was, I don't think the show was, mar- as far as I'm aware, the show wasn't marketed anyway as a vampire show. It was very much marketed as like a midsummer kind of thing, like a cult yeah. kind of show. Um, that's the vibe I got before going into it. Um, that that I, I um, that it was kind of like a cult leader type thing, you know, a charismatic priest. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a cult. And it kind yeah. of is. It still is a cult, but it's obviously with the vampire, in, you know, spice at the center. Um but yeah, we get these great, obviously, exchanges. Bev Keen sticking her nose in once again. And I'm, I was I was surprised at this point. I was like, why isn't she a vampire already? Because um, I thought the show might have the root of her not turning into one. Mm. Um, you know, because she's so pure and whatnot. But um, she doesn't want to turn to one either, because we get the bit at the end where she's like literally running in fear of all the other people turning. Yeah, she's like a coward. Yeah, she's, well, typical, you know. She's, um, she, you know, I think she's just... She doesn't want to go down, go out like they're all going out, which is essentially having their throats torn out. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because well, although it's fine for like children to have, you know be slaughtered like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think like the 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 Riley moment. Obviously, I think if you have any soul, you're incredibly like emotional at that moment. The reveal being because the show sets it up as you know he's succumbing to he's acting very out of character and he's succumbing to these vampire, you know, ways. We have all these scenes before where he's seeing all the heartbeats and stuff and, you know, he's hungry and he takes, you know, the easiest person who who would be the easiest person to kill out to the waters. Um, but obviously the reveal is that he's actually there because he didn't want to have the ability to escape, essentially. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like it's a horrifying scene because right up till the end, she doesn't she thinks, you know, oh, he's suicidal or oh, he's, he's sick, you know, he's, he's unwell. And it's just it's hor- it's, hor- it's horrific when we get this scene of him. Is it flashing back to the? Oh no, he sat with the girl he ran over. Uh, no, yeah. that was killed in which the accident. Which is kind of she... which is really jarring to go back to when he's just burning alive. Then yeah, uh, oh yeah, yeah, and it's and it's like a gut punch because it's this incredibly like poignant, beautiful moment, and then it's just like well, the reality of it is he's just burning up alive in front of the woman he loves, who he's just confessed to now, <laughs> as he's about to die. <laughs> Um, yeah. which, you know, a bit of a dick move, not going to lie. Um, uh, <laughs> be like, oh, I've always loved you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, till death do us part. An instant death. Um, but yeah, choke me up. You know, I think if you have any kind of heart, you you'll be on the verge of tears in this scene. It's beautifully done. It's it's a beautiful visual in a way. You know, with the sunrise, um, but also you know horrifically tragic because you know, oh my god, he's gonna die. Like there's literally nowhere for yeah. him to go. This is it. Um, and uh, and he he goes out a hero. You know, he would rather die than hurt anyone. You know, hurt anyone else. You know, he's 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 lived with the guilt of of killing someone his whole life why would he you know why would he do anything like that again hmm. um so it makes perfect sense for his character to sacrifice himself rather than hurt anyone um especially the woman he loves so yeah it, it's great um and uh and of course i forgot to mention but obviously we have the moment before that with Aaron losing the baby which um obviously is explained really well i think later on really makes sense within the established like rules Mm. Um, with the with the you know the the vampire vampire cells essentially attacking the baby like some kind of uh, you know alien body, um, yeah. and essentially destroying the baby. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, amazing. Um, really surprising as well. Really like twists the whole show on because you've got two episodes left and you've just lost your main protagonist. Yeah, I always feel really bad like rewatching that scene of like Aaron losing the child because she's had to deal with so much shit from people because the child was like out of wedlock yeah um and i always feel really bad that afterwards i'm like after all that like you know she's still you know she doesn't get the one good thing out of it which is obviously a child yeah and then she loses riley right afterwards yeah. um yeah i should bear uh... mind i say one good thing is in like she's having to put up with the shit not the the, the other bad stuff is that she had out of wedlock i don't care um yeah. but yeah it's... no the entire like stuff it's like this the, the show in this point like completely breaks you down it's like Oh, you like these characters? Yeah, well, fuck you. Um, here comes yeah, the show, the show tears your heart out at multiple points. I actually was found, found myself getting quite emotionally, you know, in, invested in that that earlier conversation between Riley and Father Paul, where he talks about you know the cruelty of of God and stuff like that. Mm. Um, even though I find some of those conversations quite frustrating, but I don't know. There was something about again Flanagan doing it in a very nuanced way, you know. Um, almost where where riley isn't saying you know you're wrong for believing this he's just saying you know there must please tell me you have like a better answer for this you know you know he yeah. wants to be told otherwise he wants to hear something that's going to make it all okay um but yeah like again this yeah the show just rips your heart out and steps on it like so many times Flanagan yeah. just loves to do this and i noticed again a through line with Flanagan's work it's not a big theme in the show but there is obviously again a theme of addiction you know with him going to an aa meeting um, I, I, I need to read up more on this because I, I have to assume there's some kind of, you know, connection in some way to Flanagan's work because there's so much of, about addiction throughout all of his work. Mm -hmm. Addiction, guilt, grief, you know, these are like recurrent themes throughout all of his work. Yeah. Um, but uh, obviously religion. I, and I think I heard somewhere that this was kind of a passion project. This was like one of the ones he wanted to bring to life for the longest time. And I think like Hill House kind of allowed him, Hill House and Bly Manor kind of allowed him to do that. I think I think one good thing that I think kind of goes over at least all of the series work that Mike Flanagan has done is sort of this theme of like coming to terms with your trauma. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, Hill House and Bly Manor are perfect examples of this because that's quite literally the premise. I can't remember which one. Sorry, is it Bly Manor where all the kids have to go back to the home? Is it? No, that's Hill Hill House. Hill House. Bly Manor is the is the new staff member, and she obviously has spoiler yes, yeah. Bly Manor, but she has that traumatic experience, obviously. Yeah. Um, very Both similar are, to yeah. what happened to Riley, actually, as well. Very interesting. Yeah, so I was going to say, like, the trauma we get in this is, like, pretty much Riley's story 
Um, alongside that, though, there's also like more like sort of subplots of trauma. Obviously, we have Erin Green. She deals yeah. with a good bit of it in the show as well. We have Joe um, Colley as well and Lisa. And even Father Paul to a certain extent, because obviously we find out later that he has a daughter. Oh, um, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, that's a bit of, like, it's not the trauma that, like, he has a daughter. I don't think that's traumatizing. It's, it's the like, trauma that he never, he never was, he was too scared to, to live yeah. his life with his child and the woman he loved. You know, that mm. he was, that he was too pressured, like, he, what the religious community would have thought, you know. Um, and to be fair, you know, we don't know why he was. Her a name's bit, Mildred, uh, isn't it? think so yeah and yeah, obviously yeah. you you get the, the the little snippet that it was an you know a, a, an adulterous relationship um because yeah. something about either while her husband was away in the war or something like that you know you know so it's even then it's like well it's kind of a flawed thing it's like well you know we don't know why this happened but it's like again these are flawed people you know um, what a player am i right <laughs> i know the like, guy goes off like, to Luke war and pruitt's like let me get that yeah <laughs> uh and then wait, and then lets him come back and look after the kid. Yeah, he's like, that's not my problem. <laughs> Sigma male, Sigma male, Pruitt. Uh, um, <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, I only the, answer to the, the Lord, not your child. He's only the he's on the grind set, you know. <laughs> child support, we're all children in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> oh. He's like father. Oh, I'm father to all. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm everyone's father. Just oh kind of hand God. waves it. He's like, "Oh, I'm everyone's dad, you know. I'm everyone's father, you know. I'm I'm the father of this town, you know." Mm-hmm. Oh, we're all we're all fucked in a way. Just hand waving it constantly. <laughs> the alimony checks coming in. He's just like, "Yeah, well, you know." It'd be really weird if you were just there and he like starts giving off some like really specific homilies, and you're like, "Who's this? Is this about me? Like, what, what's he talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> and anyone here, you know, <laughs> he's just. Yeah, that'd be class. I um, always wanted a daughter, specifically with someone in the town. He like just yeah. like starts projecting, <laughs> and and I think that'd be okay, even if she had a husband. <laughs> uh, God, but yeah, no, the the actual like again, but like seriously, the obviously the reveal of that, like again, I think it just endears you to him even more though. It's like this incredibly mm. tragic, like you know, who knows what his life would have been if he'd have just taken that step. Like he's also like yeah. They well, were, like, sorry, sorry to jump in, but like it also like proves like that he's not like this purist. Like, no, of course not. Yeah, he's like he he's understands his own flaws and he he doesn't judge people for them. No, um, yeah, this, yeah, and like I think the final, ep- you know, jumping ahead a bit. Obviously, we kind of the sixth and seventh episode is kind of like this two part finale. You know, mm. we're kind of building to the, and I have to say, I didn't expect it to go kind of as straight up because this is where the show kind of becomes the horror show. Yeah, you know when you have this full-on town full of vampires killing everyone they come across, you know, and it's just a—it's not a gore fest, but it's extremely violent compared to what the show has been up to this point. Mm. Um, you know, it's been quite subdued. It's suddenly getting like hyper violent with like people getting their throats torn out and like just getting devoured in the streets, children getting killed, and you know, it becomes this fight. For, I, I, when they when they barricaded themselves in the church, I was like, is this going to be from dusk till dawn for the last episode? <laughs> like they're just going to be barricaded inside a church full of vampires. <laughs> Um, but not quite that, but it did give me those kind of vibes, obviously in a much more serious tone. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're kind of building to this ominous reveal at this, uh, at this, you know, this midnight mass essentially, um, on Easter. Um, and like, um, it's very, you know, we, we know now what's, you know, we're all like on the same page as to what's happening. We're just kind of dreading it. We're, you know, Riley begs Aaron to leave the island, before he dies saying you know i know you won't because you'll want to help them but 
you know, obviously, he and he is right in a way that if she'd have just left, she. But obviously, if she'd have just left, they they probably would have spread out and spread the contagion, if you will, to elsewhere. Yeah. Um. So she did the right thing in the end, obviously. Um. And yeah, we get this kind of showdown. Essentially, we go to the church. They all, all our central characters, kind of go to the church. The sheriff agrees to go because he's kind of curious about what's happening because he's heard obviously some theories by the doctor. I think it's um, also his son kind of tries to make him go as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His son kind of like asks him to go and he's more intrigued, obviously, once he hears like this big surprise. And obviously this big surprise is this horrific monstrosity of a vampire entering the room in robes, mind you, in religious robes, which is kind of interesting, <laughs> given that this creature is clearly like not remotely interested in, in their Yeah, no, it looks really off, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like it's playing the... Well, it's, it gets the idea of it. this thing is playing the part, essentially, to have its food source. Yeah. Um yeah, and obviously he you know, obviously still believes it's an angel. And again, like the show kind of plays with your expectations that Pruitt is gonna be this straight up villain now, this villainous character. Um, especially when it all goes down and um uh the sheriff shoots him in the head um after he poisons he they're they're all gonna do in a very cult like manner, gonna drink rat poison essentially and Wait, the sheriff doesn't gonna... shoot him in the head. It's, oh no, um... sorry, it's um is it Millie? It, yeah, it's um oh Mildred's daughter. Is that the scientist girl? Is that her name? Is it the daughter who shoots her? I thought it was the um the mother. I thought it was Mil. The, oh thought... yeah, no, it is. Yeah, sorry, you're right. Yeah, because she's obviously early in the early on. She's saying that's not the man I knew in there. You yeah, because yeah. he because he does preach a very like holy war kind of thing where she then which, yeah, which is why the show does really make you feel like he's going to be a villain because he preaches a very villainous speech. Yeah, they'd be um, soldiers of God, yeah. And, and that there'll be casualties and all this. And I'm like, oh, God, he really sounds like evil now. And I would have been really disappointed if they just stuck with that, to be honest, because I was, like, really endeared to him. Yeah. Um, and I think it would have wiped away a lot of his 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 interesting aspects. So I was very glad they redeemed him in the end. Um, yeah. You, you kind of get the vibe that he's just essentially caught up in it. But he does genuinely believe he's doing the right thing and that he's going to save people, end suffering, you know, all this kind of thing. It's a small price to pay is kind of what he's seeing as, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- he doesn't think these people are going to die either because he believes that they're all going to be resurrected as vampires because assumedly if the plan had gone the way he had intended they all would have become vampires and no one would have died for real um, yeah. you know which would have been bad too but <laughs> um, but like essentially yeah because the way he had it planned was everyone would step up take a sip of this thing die and then be resurrected mm-hmm. um, and they would be kept in the church to kind of deal with their initial hunger but instead you kind of get Sturge, I believe, who's one of the... He's a, a, essentially a goon at this point. It's a glorified goon for the... Uh, you know, a thug for the um, the religious group. Um, he just goes mental, essentially, doesn't he? And he starts eating people. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, a re- like really freaky scene. And I I, I felt... If, uh, I want to... For Ed and, and uh, Riley's parents, I forget their name. Ed and... I forget her name. Um... I was really glad in the show didn't demonize them as well. Yeah, they don't actually eat anyone. No, they don't want to. Um, they don't want to hurt anyone. And like he tries to run away, he doesn't. And I was so glad they didn't buy into the fanatical angle because for a good period of the show, they're obviously going along with it. But when it gets to an unreasonable level, they you know obviously take a stand and we're like obviously and they side with our you know protagonists, which I really appreciate. Right, um, Ed and Annie. Ed and Annie love those characters as well you know just more great mike flanagan side characters there's not really a bad character in this show you know every character is interesting in some respect or or you get attached to them in some way yeah um so yeah and obviously ed getting taken down i was really you know it was another gut punch i'm like oh god like he's gonna die now and maybe he's gonna do terrible things 
But instead, we get this like very somber moment with him just kind of wandering the streets, seeing all this carnage and resisting, you know, doing everything he can to resist the urge to hurt anyone. Um, and yeah, I love when Bev Keen gets shot as well. That was total like the mist vibes, like Mrs. Carmody. Where she's, she's kind of like taunting them, sh- like yeah. And she just shoots her in the heart, and she's like, "We've got five minutes." <laughs> yeah, she's oh. like, "We've got five minutes till she gets back up." Essentially, that's a um, uniting part of that episode as well. I think everyone wanted that to happen. <laughs> yeah, they were like, "Yeah, shoot her." <laughs> um, and obviously Pruitt gets shot in the head early on, and that kind of dis- you kind of get the vibe as well that their injuries, if they're more severe, don't heal as quickly. So he's kind of like out for the count, essentially for a bit. Um, yeah. Which is why all the carnage goes on because he's kind of pleading with Bev to not let them out. Um, because he knows what's going to happen. They're just going to be overtaken with hunger and just kill everyone they come across, whether they and not even care about turning them. Mm. Uh, yeah, and um, and that's what they do. A lot of people die who don't get to become vampires. They just die, um, which leads to some obviously really tragic moments. Um, and this, yeah, this final episode goes off the rails, like, and in a good way, don't get me wrong. Like, I loved it. At first, yeah. I was a bit concerned. I was like, is this just going to be some cliche like vampire fight? But it isn't really that. Because of the rules they set with the vampires that you can't really fight these things. You can shoot them and disable them for like a minute or two, but you can't really fight them. Mm. Um, so I loved all of that. And I loved the chaos of them like running around the town, all the buildings on fire, like all of the visuals. It really feels like epic. Yeah. Um, them burning the boats down and kind of, it's kind of like reminds me very much of our first film, The Thing, with this like mentality of, well, we're not going to make it out alive, but neither are they. Mm. Um, the other, like yeah yeah but there is one scene in this episode that like i can never rewatch it it's when um in order to slow down like bev keen um annie flynn like slits her oh, own throat yeah, yeah oh no i hate no anything like that is the one thing i hate to look at like just no don't do it but, and it's just another gut punch the show by this point you're pretty feeling pretty sore because the show just keeps punching you in the gut <laughs> yeah it's just it's like, like do you like this character all right they're dead and I thought she wasn't going to come back, and I was actually relieved when she came back as a vampire because I already knew she was a good person and she wasn't going to hurt anyone. I just, I kind yeah. of had that vibe that no, she's she won't hurt anyone. Um, and when she finds Ed, it is kind of like relieving that they kind of get these this final night together. Mm. Um, and she he and she says, you know, the blood on me isn't my, is it's just mine. And he says I'm the same. And he says these people are wrong. You don't have to. He's like when I turned, I thought I would just hurt people immediately, but no, you can fight it, and like you don't have to. And it kind of casts more of a shadow on the t- townspeople that they gave in so easily to killing other people. Yeah. Um, and some of them aren't like doing it because they're, and none of them, none of them do it though because they're like evil people. Like mm. they all do it because they're just weak and they can't overcome the hunger essentially. Yeah. I do want to say, absolutely, all... we've just before we like, and actually, no, finish off this point and then I'll jump back. No, yeah. Just, yeah. Just saying, I really like that again, the nuance in the show that like, these like Sturge, even Sturge, who feels pretty villainous towards the end when he shoots down, you know, um, oh, I forget her name as well. I'm so bad at this, like the names, but the doctor, when he shoots down her, which again, n- incredibly surprising, very sad moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, Sarah. yeah, w- like it's Sarah, when he shoots down Sarah and yeah, obviously, obviously gut punch, but and like I was hoping Pruitt was just going to mash his face in, to be honest. I was like, yeah, well, he just, almost did. Like, <laughs> I thought he was just going to start stomping his head or something gross like that. I was like, that would be, a, but oh, again, a bit out of character. I mean, it would be understandable to be honest because he just shot his daughter. But um, it also does show as well, like it, it. It's a good scene in the sense that like he tries to bring her back and she is like, no, do not. Yeah, do that. she spits the blood out. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. And I love that when he sees she's burning the. T- I love that whole moment. But again, that that was that was Pruitt's redemption. Like him talking about in the start of the episode the how this was wrong and stuff and the, his regrets. And then obviously when he sees she's going to burn the church, he's like, "Good, do it." Like that's this is right. Like, um, and before that even, there's that poor man who's killed his entire family because and he wasn't even part of this. Like he just got turned and then he yeah, killed Sturge his whole family. Back, yeah. And and Sturge is like, oh. Yeah, you're gonna have to go walk down by the beach and die. Like you've killed your whole family, but also you have to die now as well. There's no shelter for you, even though there is. Um, yeah, you're not I a just, true believer. Yeah. Just obviously because we've skipped past a little bit, I do want to touch on one really, really good scene. Probably my favorite scene in the show uh, from mm-hmm. episode seven, which is when um, is it? Yeah, Sarah goes to Sheriff Hassan to ask him to investigate stuff around St. Patrick's. Oh, it's episode six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, episode six yeah sorry and they get he there's just an amazing amazing monologue from him in that yeah. entire scene like it is absolutely phenomenal talking about like everything about how he was like this up-and-coming star um I, was it the it wasn't the secret service but it was like no top he was in, echelon of like the he was a nypd and then yeah. he was recruited after 9-11 and and he he was a he was in college when 9-11 happened, essentially, and felt, you know, just like any American felt like horror at what he saw. And he joined the NYPD to prove kind of the stigma wrong. And he thought it was working. And then they started recruiting him essentially to spy on, you know, just innocent civilians, like spy on mosques, spy on, you know, just normal Muslims. Yeah. Um, and that they loved him because he was one of them, essentially. You know, that's kind of how they saw him. They didn't see him as like a fellow officer. They saw him as like an asset because he could speak the language, he knew the culture. Um. And then when he said once that it was wrong, they just like turned his whole life upside down. I wanted to protect this country. So I moved to New York and enrolled in NYPD training. Now some of my friends, they weren't happy. NYPD is against us, they'd say. But I tell them, no, you're wrong. I'll show them they don't have to be afraid of us. I'll show them who we are. So I worked my way up. You know, traffic and translating and transcribing wiretaps to advice. I get married. Ali is born. And I'm promoted again. Detective now. Top secret security clearance for the Joint Terrorism Task Force. I'm helping the FBI fight terrorists. We're taking cobblers. You know, petty stuff, pot, parking tickets. And leaning on them hard if they're Muslim. You know, we'll, uh, we'll drop the charge, help you out. You go to the mosque and listen. I thought we were supposed to be fighting terrorists. Not flipping some pothead student in Queens to spy on Americans. So, I complain. Gently. One time. Everything changed. I was surveilled. By other cops. I mean, they even had an official file on me. And not just me, see, like, after the towers, Muslim officers were promoted fast, right? especially if we knew the language, like linguistic knowledge, cultural knowledge. I mean, we were very desirable for that. But it started to occur to them, with so many of us on the force elevated to positions of real authority, what if that had been our plan all along? What if we were interlopers? What if we were infiltrators? What if we were double agents and they fucking panicked? Internal affairs was suddenly all over us. 
We're being followed. We're being recorded. Civilians, too, surveilled at mosques, cafes. And suddenly, I'm out of plain clothes. And I'm back in uniform. Night shift. Street beat. And more and more, I realize I've lost their trust. Yeah, no, it's it's like, it's a really, really, like, powerful scene. Like, it's mm. phenomenally well done. And again, I've said it, like, a few times, but Raoul Coley and this entire show as Sheriff Hassan is just phenomenal. Like, that mm-hmm. scene in particular is one that always sticks out to me. And it's always one I'm always like to people. It's like, it doesn't it doesn't really give off everything that you'll see in midnight mass. But if you like that scene, you will love the show. I think, mm. um, cause it's like, it is indicative of how great the writing is and how good the acting is. And um, speaking of Hassan, I do love the little, little bit of payback. He gets uh, later on when someone calls him a slur, who's a vampire and he just shoots them in the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but it's funny because again, like this is like a credit to Flanagan and making you sympathize with characters. Even that character later on, who is just a teenage boy, you feel a little bit of sympathy for because he killed his mum. Yeah. You know, yeah, the yeah, again, like the show's brilliant. But yeah, like yeah, again, Hassan. And when Hassan got shot, I was like, oh and when the town surrounded, I was like, oh my god, no. <laughs> mm. You know, it sucks. He's gonna go out a hero, probably though, because he's gonna burn the last building they have to, to shelter themselves. Um, it also is like it's a redemption almost like it's kind of a redemption for his relationship with his son in that sense. Yeah, as well. because his son is the one who throws the lighter. Even after becoming a vampire, knowing that he's gonna die if he does this, he throws a lighter and then and then huddles with his dad and helps his dad. Yeah. Um, and it just shows you the evilness and cruelty of Bev Keen because he's already subdued and she shoots him again just to kill him. And also um, we need to just going on the corner as well. If it wasn't chaotic enough, Aaron Green is also getting eaten by a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just sure, like, yeah. She's <laughs> like but it, it's tactical in a sense because she's wanting to cut his wings. So yeah. they can't fly away. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, which debatable of whether it works? That's a good question for the end. The for the yeah. end where we get to yeah, it. Yeah, the end. The yeah, the final moments of this show, to be honest, is like another, just another. It's like this. It's like the final kick in the head when you're on the ground. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. But yeah, again, it's like yeah, it's amazing. It feels so like final and conclusive in these final like scenes. Like you get a little bit of action in this episode. This episode is like a brilliant culmination of everything, and it's really satisfying. It's an amazing payoff. You get so much resolution in just a short hour. You know, you get so much like. Can we also of... just mention as well, like we barely mentioned Leslie Amway. I don't think we mentioned once Warren, but they're the two people that survive. Um, it's just they I, just happen to be the in two. In fairness, guy. yeah, Warren was probably one of my other flaws of the show. He is like so inconsequential to the show. Like his relationship with Riley is like non-existent, really, which I thought was a bit of a missed opportunity. I don't There's know. Some if good just... banter about being altar boys. Yeah, but like you never get the sense that they have any connection. He doesn't even really. You never get a scene where he's worried about Riley. You know, mm. um, I just yeah. I, and Lee, Lisa's okay. Lisa has her moments. Uh, the, her best standout scene. Her, her, she's kind of unimportant after the Joe Collie kind of call out moment. Yeah. Um, she's more of like a catalyst for obviously everyone becoming fanatical. Um, you know, she's don't get me wrong, great performance, but just yeah, she just doesn't service too much to the story. Um. It, she doesn't have much of an arc, I should say. Not that she doesn't do much of the story. She does quite a lot, but she just yeah. doesn't do much by the end. She's kind of a badass at the end, you know. She shoots a couple of vampires, but um, and she, I think she mur- doesn't she mercy kill a bunch of people as well. Um, uh, in the barn when they're being because f- I couldn't see what was going on in that scene. Wasn't the main vampire feeding on people in there? Yeah, but I think she just shoots the vampire. 
Oh, I thought she was shooting the people to like kind of you know put them out of their misery. Well, she, I presume, they were... like she, well, you would say to put them out of their misery, but then she does set the whole thing on fire, doesn't she? Really? So yes, I hope like... I hope she shot them first. <laughs> she made it worse. <laughs> um, but yeah, also on top of that as well, I wanted to. There's one. There's one bit of this show that kind of, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of a nitpick, but. Um, should Ali realistically come back when he's poisoned because technically he's not meant to be drinking the Eucharist? Yeah, did um, he drink the sacrament? See, I guess the assumption is no. Didn't they cut their hand though and and put the blood in his mouth as he was choking out? No, I don't think so. He just drinks it, doesn't he? I thought he drank the sacrament first, though. I thought he did it while he was there. Oh, I don't know, but I think it, I, I don't. Um, I think the case is you need to be consistently drinking the sacrament. Yeah, isn't that I don't the whole know. Thing? Like, it, I thought yeah. they said if there's enough in your body, it needs to become dominant by essentially killing off all the other part of your body. Yeah, but like, if you only drank it the once, it probably wouldn't have worked. Well, I don't know because everyone who consumed it even a little in the show came back as a vampire. Like, mm. assumedly, um, uh, Aaron probably might have come back as one. Um, oh well, yeah. Like, well, Aaron would have because we know that the blood is in her because it killed her child. Yeah. So um, yeah. So and and but she but she after like a good few scenes isn't shown drinking it anymore. So I don't know. Yeah, I suppose um, as well. Riley probably didn't take the sacrament that much either. And it, I think it could also just be implied as well that. Um, oh well, he doesn't actually take it, but he is brought back. No, he's by fed it. He's Paul, fed it. But yeah, because again, like again, showing like Paul, he does care about Riley, and you know he's almost like this mentor figure to him that he 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 saves him, even yeah. though it's against the plan. Even though he's not a believer, he still saves him because obviously he doesn't want him to die. Yeah. Um. But yeah, um, yeah, and obviously we get the realization after this that you know they're all gonna die, they're, they're all gonna burn up in the sun. Um, and obviously, I didn't actually love the monologue by Aaron. I'm not gonna lie, um, it felt very much like the monologue that we get at the end of Hill House that I also didn't love with the kind of talk about like I can't even remember what she says, but like the very flowery language she uses. I just found it a bit much for like you know. I like fairly... a little bit of extravagance at the end. Yeah, I just, I don't think it got the emotional, like it didn't actually get the, I thought Aaron was going to be the saddest for me and it didn't really connect with me that much. I'm not sure why. I think I just found the dialogue a bit much. I was a bit like, this keeps going on and on and on and on. Yeah. But I mean, I like, think the the real gut punch of this episode is when they all start singing nearer my God to the at the end. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I love that because again it hammers home that nuanced view on religion that even mm. because a lesser show would have had them all swear off it in the end and say, like, oh, this is ridiculous or something like that. But instead they all keep their faith in the end. They all you know, they all die as believers, but they just believe in a like a more, you know they they believe in what Pruitt believed, you know, like this pure helping everyone kind of you know, belief in, in religion. Like they, 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 he's kind of more like the dominating because they all kind of still listen to him. Even, in, even at the end when he's like cast out a little bit, they all still listen to him over Bev Keen. Yeah. Um, because he's just, you know, he's one, one, he's just a better leader and two, like he's the better person, you know? Um, I do really love, it's such a small scene. I love when he says, everyone's welcome. Like to that guy, like he says, mm. come in, like everyone is welcome because if it, if no one is welcome, if people aren't welcome, then this is not God's house. Which again, like, it's that positive, you know, view on religion that everyone should be. If religion is what you want it to be, then everyone should be welcome. There should be like love for everyone, mm. um, and showing kind of the good in it. And that's why, I, again, like, I praise the show for, to no end because I think it goes. It, it's it's good to do a criticism of religion, but I think it's even stronger to do a criticism while also acknowledging the good. Yeah, I think as well. We actually like 
if whatever this show like points out at the end, it's like it's more so the case of like I mean, we've already mentioned it, like religion being taken and like pushed askew to kind of yeah. push a cultish narrative. And it shows that like I don't think it's the sense that they're that everyone at the end is still holding on to that same religion, just a bit more of a nice version. Is it's that they're reverting back to the previous stance they had in religion. Yeah, 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 um, for sure. Because obviously Ali's a perfect example. Like he goes and he prays with his father at the end, which mm. is a, again another class scene. Absolutely and I yeah, and again you're watching that whole scene as he's bowing, getting wearier with each bow. You know he's going to drop dead in one of these bows. Like that's how they're going to do it. But you can also like at, because like the entire show has been about like I mean in terms of Hassan and Ali like it's been about the relationship between the two of them and the relationship mm. with religion and it's a really heartwarming moment to see them both come together and pray at the end together uh, regardless yeah. of whether you're religious or not like it's really powerful in the sense that both of them there can share this moment in their final like couple of minutes yeah um, I love that they're yeah that they get their closure and that it's it's okay in the end I like yeah. Um, Mike Flanagan has a really good way of handling like final moments for characters in all of his media. Mm. Like no spoilers for Doctor Sleep, but again, like he handles it brilliant in that film as well. Yeah, uh, phenomenal the way they handled death. The way Mike Flanagan views death and things is very like it's very powerful. Like the way he talks about death in his films and the media is very like beautiful in a way. And like there is a very I think a very spiritual tone to a lot of the way he views life and death. Like mm. not necessarily any of any one religion, but it's certainly like this is not like just a clear cut, you know, you die and that's it. It's yeah. very much like a, you know, the people around you, the you know, being with people in those final moments is what matters and the connections and stuff. It's very like beautiful, and that's why his stuff is so like emotional because you feel like what he's trying to say. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like again, brilliant scene. Hassan gets an amazing exit. It goes out a hero <laughs> as he always was, you know. Yeah. Um, in contrast to Bev Keen, who goes out like a coward, then yeah, I love that. I love mm. that she dies, and I love that she dies alone as well. Yeah, you know, everyone else they they hold they all die together. Ed and Ed and uh, Annie get to go out together, which I think is beautiful. You know, mm. I, I I loved those characters throughout. They were they were they had a lesser role, but again, I love that actor though. I've got such a soft spot for the actor who plays Ed. Uh, he's brilliant in everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again. Like they go out together and, and they all go, yeah, they're all hand in hand. The whole town is together. Um, and it, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, and obviously the town being on fire, it's almost kind of, it's almost kind of like visually like beautiful in a way as well. Hmm. Um, and you get all these like lights essentially as they, as they, you know, burn up, there's all these like sp sparkling lights essentially. Yeah. Um, and and I, yeah, I do love, yeah. sorry. I don't know what you can say. Sorry. No, I do love that Bev Keen doesn't even get peace in her death that she's, you know trying to dig herself <laughs> into the sand like the, the weasel that she is yeah i do um, think it's it's really it's it's great as well like you know obviously they're singing that hymn at the end and they don't even finish it it like kind no. of stops like just cuts, before the yeah. end of it. and i think oh that that's the gut punch ever like if ever there's a case of like music being you know um sort of really um really tapping into people's emotions like there is such an emotional resonance with just silence um hmm. like especially when that just cuts off because you're kind of just left sitting there being like what did i just watch like what have i just seen hmm. um
and then you know we have to bit because uh, I'm just wary because we're <laughs> nearly at an hour and a half, so I want to kind of <laughs> um try not wrap up but like move on to the final elements of this episode in the series. Mm. Um, obviously we know that Lisa and Warren uh, are the only two to escape, which I believe is due to the fact that because either they haven't taken enough of the sacrament or there may be it's that their blood hasn't been dominated by it which i'm kind of like did they not take the same if not more than everyone else so i'm kind of skeptical on how that works maybe it's because they're children and I, I don't know but well they said earlier on in the film that if you if you're not fully like you know dosed by it, it's kind of like what did they say it's like other it's like other um things i can't really they compared it to but essentially it will leave your body because your body will essentially fight it off eventually Okay, so they could have all fought it off realistically. Yeah, so if none of them died eventually and didn't continue to take it, they would eventually be human again. Yeah. Which it, perhaps they get old again and get ill again because, oh yeah, oh this is the other thing. I wasn't a huge fan of that thing of her being like, I can't feel my legs at the end. I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> um... I just didn't... I get get that maybe like what 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 was I don't know what the the point of that was what it was trying to say I guess like oh she's pure again so she you know she's not got the I also like... think maybe is there some element where they're trying to because obviously there's this huge question about whether the vampire gets away it's Perhaps obviously it being... dying yeah it yeah, dying kind it of dying ends the... yeah that's what I was thinking kind of like um similar to like you know the White Walkers in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of like purges her essentially because it's like maybe the original vampire essentially. It's like the Nosferatu or whatever, you know. It's like yeah. the original. But it is. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think viewing it from that lens of it being this is this is the the this is the them telling you that this the vampire didn't make it and it died. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's kind of makes it bit sweet because it's like yeah she can't walk again but the, they're safe now the thing is dead. Yeah, but um, I don't know if it, it, I don't know if that is the case though because I feel like. It's not like Mike Flanagan, I think, at least in this setting, to have it rounded off and finished. It's kind of left that... I, I kind of enjoyed the fact more that the ending could be left open to interpretation. Well, yeah, I was thinking about how they're going to survive afterwards, but then I also remember them saying that they could essentially call the fairies back, so they obviously have something they could restart and like call the fairies to rescue them. Hmm. Um, which I, <laughs> is, is my headcanon ending, because I don't want to think that they just got there and starved to death. <laughs> yeah. Um... Um. Well, actually, having said that, the fire would probably be like would call in rescue, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd um, say so. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? <laughs> but at least it's at least it's less. It, I like to think of it as a more positive ending that the vampire died, less so than something like the thing where it's like, who knows? <laughs> it it yeah. feels to me very much like we got them all; they're all dead, and that's it. It's over. Yeah. All I know um, is I don't want a spin off of the show. <laughs> no, please God, don't. No sequel. No spin off. Nothing. No. Um, and of course, we get the amazing, to mention Pruitt one more time, we get them taking their now dead daughter out to her favorite place. Mm-hmm. Again, like just crushing you emotionally. <laughs> but it's also kind of beautiful because they're finally a family like he always wanted. They're finally together um, in a place that meant the most to their daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love where I love obviously their final words were great before she was shot. You know, I'm so proud of you. I wish I told you that all the time that I love you. Yeah. Um, Mike Flanagan just squeezing those tears out. <laughs> um, it's like he doesn't want you to stop crying this entire last episode. He's like, Do you know what? We we've had just one scene we cried, another one, and another one. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Um, but yeah, and and that's kind of where it end. We end with with everything kind of being wrapped up for the most part. I I, I know you say it's kind of open ended, but I feel it's quite conclusive. Less so mm. than something like Hill House, I suppose, where it's literally we get like the final scenes of what everyone's doing now. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but very much like it's less traditional, but it feels very final to me. It feels mm-hmm. like the vampire's dead, curse is lifted, a certain curse, quote unquote, is lifted. Um, you know, it sucks that that girl wanted me to walk again, but presumably they'll they'll get out. You know, they're, they're smart kids, they'll escape. All right, so will we move on to ratings? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Um, I'm going to let you go first in this one, because I think everyone can predict what my rating will be. Yeah, I am going to give it, and I hope this doesn't madden you too much, I'm going to give it a four out of five. Oh, you were going to say three. Mainly yeah, four. No, no. <laughs> there is some, there's so much brilliance in this show that I could afford anything less than a four is an insult. Um, the first episode, mate, is a big part of that. Um the drop the the lack of interesting things done with Warren or Lisa, you know, past the third episode, I would say. You know, kind of um I didn't love that they killed, you know, Collie when they did. I would have liked to have seen a bit more with him. I get what the show's going for. Um I suppose that's kind of my reasons for it, you know. Hmm. I think the first episode is a huge part. I mean, it's only seven episodes, so if your first episode is a bit of a dud for me, then yeah. I think that's a big reason to to not give it a perfect score. But I think that final episode, that final episode is like a 10 out of 10. So 5 out of 5. The mm. final episode is perfect. I can't think of it. Other than, you know, the whole... I, But even reconsidering now the context of what her saying I can't feel my legs might mean, then I can forgive that. So yeah, that final episode's flawless. Like, I can't think of anything I would say could be done differently. Like, you get a little bit of action, you get some, some real excitement, you get a huge payoff, you get amazing closure to all the character arcs, and, you know you get redemption like for so many characters that you didn't think you were going to get. Yeah. Like the town yeah. essentially is redeemed by the end because they all, you know, agree to, they're not going to fight it. They're going to let they let themselves be taken. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, four out of five. Absolutely. Every, everyone should watch this. If you, if you just like good storytelling and, or if you like, if you want to like feel something when you watch something, you know, anything. And I think religious people should watch too. I spoke to someone actually the other day who was religious who uh, had watched the show, and I was kind of curious what their 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 thing was, and they really appreciated the nuanced view that the show gave, mm. um, as they themselves kind of interact with religion in a very nuanced way. They they were really appreciative of, of the lens that the show took it through. So yeah, absolutely, I think everyone should watch this. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I echo a lot of what you said. Uh, surprise, surprise! I'll give it a five because um, mm. I just I absolutely adore this show. I think the acting is phenomenal. Everything about it, the cinematography, the storytelling, narrative, um, and of course the music is just all expertly executed, I think. Um, I really like the first episode. I know you're not a big fan of it, but I love that sort of slow build-up and slow establishing of that community, even if it's not, uh, even if everything isn't as super engaging as maybe it should be or I'd like it to be, I do appreciate having it there as sort of like background knowledge to have. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is a really good show, particularly for people who maybe aren't really that big into horror because it plays off more as a like a drama uh, with horror elements as opposed to a horror show that has something else in it. Um, so like if you're not big into horror, you could easily sit down and get through this and be enthralled by the characters. Um, it's not like yeah, a typical sure. horror show in the sense of like, oh, what's the monster of the week this week? It's more like here's this overarching story that tackles big questions about religion and faith and uh, cults and everything in between. Um, and we've thrown a vampire in for fun. Um, and I, I I, can't say enough about it. I think this is phenomenal. I think everyone should watch it at least once. Religious mm-hmm. or not, this is a great show. There's a lot to be learned from this. Uh, I Again, I think it's Mike Flanagan's best work. I think it's one of the best, if not the best horror show I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't really give it much more praise than that, I don't think. <laughs> um, no, and... 
and yeah, and I'll reiterate, you know, despite me like not gelling with the first episode, I think everything you said there makes complete sense. And I think many people will walk away feeling that this is like an all time, mm. you know, great. And I still think it is an all time great. I just had some issues with the first episode. But as far as like, as far as Netflix goes as well, especially recently, this is like top tier. This is incredible. Yeah. Um, we do. It's very rare these days that we get something like this out of Netflix. They just need to keep getting Mike Flanagan to come back. One hundred percent. Um, but we leave the show there. We're about an hour and a half in. If you've made it this far, first of all, thank you. Uh, secondly, you can find all of our social links in the description down below. If you'd like to recommend us a film or TV show to look at in upcoming episodes, there's also a form linked in uh, on our website. Uh, you can go check that out. Uh, that'll be also linked in the description below uh, but with that being said thank you so much for watching i say watching sorry thank you so much for listening this week uh next week on the show we'll be taking a look at another actually it's kind of weird we didn't actually plan this but we have a double bill of mike flanagan um we're looking at dr sleep next week um which should Quite be interesting really interesting. for that one yeah because yeah. uh with me i'm obviously now i'll be viewing the director's cut so we might have a bit of back and forth there yeah, 100%. Um, I'm looking forward to going to it. I want to try and finish the book before rewatching again because I started it and never got back to mm-hmm. it. But we'll talk more about that next week. We've taken up too much of the listener's time. Yes. Um, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.